Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax, and it's a pleasure to be with you today as we investigate the blueprint to the real estate wholesaling business. Rafael Cortez is a real estate broker, investor, entrepreneur, and organizational psychologist, founder and CEO of Plus LLC and a real estate investment coach and podcaster with Wholesaling Inc. He became one of the first and youngest firefighters in Yuma County at the age of 19. He began his entrepreneurial project and launched NetCore Transports LLC in 2007, a non-emergency medical transportation business. Raphael started his first business at 21 and launched his first company at age 23 and now invests in wholesale real estate. So, Raphael, start us off by sharing a memorable experience. Well, Alan, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. My background doesn't overlap too much. So I started as a firefighter, then I moved to transportation, ended up in real estate, right? And uh, consulting and coaching as well. But just to talk about, I guess, an experience that kind of led me down this path was I used to make a lot of rash decisions when I was younger, you know, age 19, 20, you know, it's kind of like when you feel like you own the world, right? You have it, you have everything in the palm of your hand and you have all the answers. That was definitely me back then. And I put myself in a tight spot. I was looking at one point, I mean, I was trying to build a family and looking out the window and there was a repo truck pulling up and then just taking my car away because I had decided to leave the fire department where I was at uh, to launch this entrepreneur dream, right? I mean, there was a lot of things that happened along the way that could have just stopped me on my tracks. But what happened was, <laughs> I think, and now I think it's a good thing. I went all in on it. So I committed to actually creating this entrepreneur entrepreneur vision, right? Making it real. And I was too far in to fail. I couldn't fail anymore. I put myself in survival mode. So it was either you know do or die. And yeah, so I'm standing there and I'm looking at this tow truck, just take the vehicle away. I'm looking at the fridge. There's limited you know milk and, and a couple of things. I mean, I was broke. I didn't have a dollar to my name, but I, like everything you can think of, I had done wrong. And I think like that's one of the things that just kind of created that fire, right? You can take it either way. You can take it from a uh, standpoint of failure and then sit there and mope about it, or, or you can can actually use it and channel that energy into something good, productive, and be proactive about the stuff that you want to get to. So, I mean, I think it's it's as far as, you know, big memories and stuff that happened to me along the way, that's one of the big ones. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a rough way to get started. And it's a difficult trap to get out of because once you find yourself in those scarcity situations, it's not only frightening, uh, it uh, can also be a very depressing place to be and uh, psychologically difficult to get out of there. But obviously you did, and uh, you've come a long ways since that point in time. And by the way, you're not the only one who's made a few rash decisions at age 18, 19, 20, and 30. So so join the crowd there. So tell us, Raphael, just start us off by explaining to us what wholesaling is. A lot of our viewers may know that, but many of them do not. So fill us in on that. 
So wholesaling, I mean, it's one of the easiest. I started investing in real estate in 2009. So I bought my first fix and flip. And I mean, I broke even on that first project. I just didn't know what I was doing. And the second one, I did a little better. The third one, I did better. But then, uh, you know, about four projects into, you know, flipping career, I already had a transportation business. So I was trying to allocate some of those funds and then figure out what else I wanted to do. By then, things were a lot better financially and whatnot. This is around 2009. And three, about three flips into it, I started looking at the settlement statements and I saw an assignment fee. I was like, what is this thing? Why, why am I paying somebody $28,000 for this, you know, for an assignment fee? Like, what are they talking about? So it turns out the guy that actually found the property for me and sold it to me, I mean, he was a wholesaler, right? So I call him up and it was like, the assignment fee was like, yeah, I mean, that's the price that we get for the contract. And I was like, man, that's, and that wasn't mad or anything. I was just surprised. I was like, wow, okay, so they're still meeting the bones for me to come and do my flip. And you made $28,000 on this. I'm probably going to make somewhere around, you know, the same amount, but I have to, you know, swing a hammer, manage the crowd, you know, do take a, a financial risk on this thing and whatnot. So anyways, I mean, that kind of just opened up my curiosity and I found wholesaling. Wholesaling real estate is essentially marketing for distressed sellers, right? So it's not necessarily investing in real estate, you're investing in marketing and you become a marketing company to find distressed sellers. So you can sell that contract to a somebody who's going to come in and fix and flip it, right? Either they flip it, they keep it to their portfolio, you know, whatever they do, uh, but they pay you an amount, a substantial amount for that contract. So you're selling the, your vested interest in that agreement. you know. So what happens is that you find somebody who's needing to sell the property. And granted, this is a very small portion, percentage of the population, right? Say 100 people want to sell, maybe three to five of those are going to sell to us. We're looking for a specific niche of seller, somebody who's in financial distress, they need to move quick, relocations, divorce, physical distress of the property, they can't do the repairs. You know, that time, There's got to be some type of value add. If the property is moving ready, it's not going to work because people are just going to list it. right? But if you present it that way, right? if you come in and you actually look for a solution and you find somebody who's got a real problem, I mean, we've had instances where probate is an issue and they don't know how to go through the process. They don't have the money to go through the process of probate. And you know we come in and then we work our network to help them out and that sort of thing. So we become a problem solver. Essentially, what happens is that we agree to a price. It's got to be below market value. Agree to a price on the property. And just to kind of paint an example, if a property is worth $100,000, we'll come in and we'll lock the property, meaning that we'll get a signature and agreement uh, purchase contract for $70,000. And then we come in, we sell that agreement for $80,000. And I mean, that's just a mock-up on numbers, but the profit or the you know the spread of that, those $10,000 go to you as the wholesaler. I mean, you have the potential of making a lot of money. Most of my students right now, like the average revenue they're getting is about $18,000 per contract. But I have students who are you know, in the $40,000 and other students who are you know, in the fives and tens. So it varies, right? The amount of the assignment fee. One important thing just to kind of consider is that you're selling the vested interest of the contract, not the property itself. But yeah, essentially that's how wholesaling works. And if you build a machine, which is my whole approach to wholesaling, you can actually have something that's sustainable, it's somewhat predictable and you know, build a really good company. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. 
Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steetalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. I would suspect those assignment fees are going to vary from market to market. I mean, if you're in a market where the average cost of a home is $150,000, your assignment fee is going to have to be in proportion to that. But if you're in a market, home prices of four hundred and fifty to 650000 that assignment fee is going to be comparable to that as well. And then also, I would think it is also going to depend upon what is kind of going on in the market in terms of the availability. You say that maybe it is 3 to 5% of the sellers who are going to fall into that range. That is probably going to vary from market to market, but it's probably also going to vary from overall markets. Like in 2008, I would expect that there were probably many more buyers or many more sellers, I'm sorry, who were falling into that category. So your percentages probably went up to anywhere from 10 to 15% of the sellers who were you were able to wholesale to. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're completely right. You have to know the market that you're tapping into, right? So just like anything else, any investor, any real estate investor knows that you can't create an evergreen approach to every single market in the States because they're all different. If you go to LA, I mean, that's a very competitive you know, supply and demand. I mean, it really dictates price points and it just goes crazy, right? And then you go to Detroit or you go to you know some a small town, uh, Yuma, Arizona, it's my hometown, actually. Price points are very, very different. And then, of course, the approach that you take has to be somewhat different different because the solutions are going to be different. So it's a matter of understanding how the beasts works, right? And from that point on, I mean, crafting solutions after that. But in its essence, basically what happens is we get a contract, we get a signature on that contract, we sell that uh, agreement to an end buyer. Again, somebody who's going to come in and flip it. And then they do, I mean, you name it, right? They'll do Airbnbs, they'll do buy and holds, they'll fix and flip it. So depending on the buyer, it's also going to be the better the buyer database that you have, the better spreads that you get, right? So there's a few factors that play in there, but the overall structure of a wholesale deal is not complicated and it makes it very uh, low barrier to entry into the real estate world. So what happens is that you start generating income through wholesale, and then you have you know money to come in and then pick and choose. For example, in my company, some of the um, additional stuff that we do is we're first to seller. I mean, we're in that front seat, which is huge, right? So we're first to seller and we're able to pick and choose. Okay, this property, we're going to flip it. This other one, we're going we're gonna to keep it as an Airbnb. This one, we're going to wholesale. But we have, well, I mean, we have that marketing machine in place and that whole process, right? If you're a solopreneur doing everything, it's easy to get burned out because there's a lot of pieces moving. But if you treat it like a business, and you start plugging people, of course, gradually, right? It all comes together and then you have this machine that's humming. And its essence, I mean, I think as entrepreneurs, that's, that's what we're looking for, right? Something that can run without us being there. Sir, you mentioned uh, fix and flip. A lot of people think that's a very glamorous thing to do because home network and so on and so forth. I do a lot of programs in conjunction to that. But there is tremendous amount of risk involved in uh, fix and flips. And it is in and of itself a business and a very, very different kind of business to wholesaling. But as you mentioned, wholesaling is a business. It's a marketing business. And you certainly are not going to make it as a wholesaler if you're just doing drive-bys and looking for 
your neighbor down the street who may be in stress. So how did you go about setting up your marketing business and what are the essential elements of a marketing wholesale business? So there's six steps that happen at a business structure level, right? The first one is going to be sourcing. You have to source the leads somehow. And you can do, you know, there's multiple ways of going about this. If you have somewhat of a budget, you can do Facebook ads, you know, pay-per-click. It gets real pricey. And that's inbound marketing because they're actually reaching out to you, right? Outbound marketing tends to be cheaper, but a lot more work involved. Uh, So meaning, for example, cold calling, you can pull a list from your title company, you can pull a list from providers like batch leads, for example, they do a great job with data, but you'll have an absentee owner list. I mean, you name it, tired landlord list, you can actually pull those lists with different filters and start calling, right? Hey, listen, this is Rafael. I'm from uh, Pulse Capital. We're buying properties in the area. Are you interested in in talking about an offer on your property? Something simple, not, not too crazy, but what you're doing is sourcing. Once you source somebody and somebody raises their hand and they say, okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, Maybe, maybe, I don't know. You got to pre-qualify that person. And the way that you pre-qualify a lead is, is based on four pillars. So it's timeline, condition, motivation, and price. Okay. So if we look at the timeline, if they want to sell in three years, I mean, that's a follow-up, right? It's not necessarily a prospect. It's more, it stays as a lead. But uh, if they want to sell within the next 30 days, 60 days, something is telling us between, you know, in between the sentences that there's something going on where they have to, you know, move quick. So that's in play. Timeline, the condition of the house doesn't need a lot of repairs because that's going to play into the actual amount of the offer that we create. And then motivation. Okay. What's, you know, if you don't mind me asking, why are you getting rid of the property and not selling via traditional means like talking? to a real estate agent. Believe it or not, we always ask that question to de-qualify people who are just going to be tire kickers. So we'll ask that question and you know they'll come back with, oh, listen, I'm in the middle of a divorce or you, know, you name it, I got relocated and I have to start working in Vancouver next month. So many things happen, right? There's different types of distress that play into the motivation. You have circumstantial distress, property distress, uh, financial distress if they're in foreclosure type of stuff. So, And then of course, the price. We will pre-qualify based on a range and then we move it on to acquisitions, which is the third step. So the second step is pre-qualification. The third step is acquisitions. That's where you actually negotiate the price of the property. You go back and forth. We have a very specific formula to come to a number logically, a number that makes sense. A lot of the stuff that you see in wholesaling is just, I mean, the lowball offers, right? They call them lowball offers. And then what happens with these lowball offers is that there's no logical approach to them. It's just a number that's, you know, feels advantageous to the wholesaler, right? And, and then leaves the seller out in the cold. But when you just justify the offer and kind of, you know, have a map of how you got to that uh, number, they're a lot more receptive. So it puts you in the same place to start negotiation. Then after you negotiate and lock the deal and sign it, you send it to dispo, meaning that you have to sell that deal to your buyers. So that's stage four, right? Dispositions, that's where you build your buyers list. Your network is really your net worth in this and every other business, right? That's where you tap into the resources that you have locally. And then the better, again, like I said before, the better the buyer list, the better the proceeds. After that, I have to usually every process, every wholesaler's process stops there. And then they begin just the cycle again to sourcing, pre-qualifying, acquisition, and dispo, right? So they keep it at four. I think it's a big mistake not to measure the results. So we actually go through KPIs and scorecards. And there's certain metrics that we have. In order to run a business, you have to have high accountability with your team, right? There's got to be vested interest from each and every one of the people like filling any of the slots. Even if you're a solopreneur, you got to have high accountability to yourself, but you have to know what to track. Otherwise, you don't know where you're going. And the measuring stage, it really focuses on the 
uh, KPIs. Okay. How many calls do I have to make to get a deal? Uh, what is the cost per lead? What is the cost per prospect? How much is the deal costing me? So if a deal is costing me $3,000, but it's making me 30, you know, it's a pretty good exchange. And you're able to track that. What gets measured gets improved, right? The last stage is really improvement. We call it improvement sessions. So it's critical thinking. I mean, it's really bringing it down to basics, critical thinking. What happened through that deal that we can improve on the next one? If you skip that sixth step and uh, you don't pay attention to what's going on in the company, you know the way that people are operating or the way that you're operating, again, if you're a solopreneur, the stages are still there. But if you're not aware of what's going on there, you're not going to be able to improve the business on the next go around, right? So it's a very, very important thing. That's where KPIs come in handy. But yeah, it's a six-stage process when you have the thing just kind of built together. I mean, I've been away from the business for a month and a half and come back and the pieces are all together still. So it's a beautiful thing to see it working, right? And you don't need a huge, huge team to really make a dent and you know a couple of million dollars a year. Our team, our management team is six people. Then we have a few co-callers behind that. Everybody gets paid on commission and merit and and it works. But I mean, I think it's the big thing is to get away from that hustle mentality where you're doing everything yourself. Hustle is a season. It's not a business strategy, which is, you know, self-explanatory there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I like how you put in those steps five and six there for certainly success in any business. It is a critical factor. I mean, it's easy to look, particularly if you're working on a commission basis, that you end up with a commission of $40,000 and go, wow, that was really cool and neat. But you spent forty-five to get the forty, And that's, I guess, one reason that so many businesses fail and don't make it is because they don't add in that step of five and six there. So two questions here, just real quickly here, and that is, you've given us some idea as to how you are able to step away for four to six weeks at a time and come back and the operation is still functioning. So give us a little bit more detail. How do you manage that? So I have a chart, right? We have an organizational chart. I'm the uh, I'm the CEO, of course. I have a director of operations and he oversees the employees. So he's my first call whenever I want to find out, you know, where are we at with deals? How's the company doing? What do we need? He's my gatekeeper. And uh, he manages, we have a lead manager that handles all the cold calling and sourcing KPIs. So sourcing and converting KPIs. And then we have an acquisitions manager he handles the acquisitions KPIs and then a dispositions manager with a transaction coordinator who helps him out. So that's the extent of the business model. It's not too complicated, right? You can do a lot if you simplify. Automate, delegate, uh, you know, what as much as possible. And having a structure like this for this particular business works very well. Now, as far as accountability, where do I come in? How do I stay connected with the team and what's going on? In terms of leadership, right? I'm very active on social media. So I'm always posting and I'm you know, tagging the team and doing that kind of stuff. And they like that. I mean, I have the following is growing. I have a YouTube channel and all that stuff. So we like to see that happening, but we have weekly meetings. They're 90 minutes, weekly meetings. And we will drive, you know, the uh, the emphasis of the meeting is going to be the KPIs and the scorecard, right? How are we all doing? We'll hit an, uh, like a mindset portion of it as well. And then this one thing that I'm going to mention next, I think it's the thing that brings it all together. About two years ago, two and a half years ago, I started doing top threes. And I don't have a better name for it. I keep thinking of that I need to probably get a catchy name for it, but we call it top threes. And what it is, is uh, what are your top three personal priorities? 
So on those meetings, we'll talk about personal priorities that they don't have anything to do with the company. What do you want to do as an individual? You know, where do you see yourself in three years? I mean, what do you want to achieve? What type of freedom do you want to achieve? I mean, the, the point is not to work our bones off every single day, right? And uh, that goes, you know, it's the same thing for my team. Why would that be different? Maybe quite a bit of effort to figure out where they want to be in three years, right? Mm-hmm. Having that vision, it's not a normal thing. It may be for an entrepreneur who's in it consistently, but not for the average person who's going, you know, to a nine to five and doesn't stop to think, okay, where do I see myself in a specific amount of time? But it's the top three. And what happens is that we'll bring in or align their personal interests to what's happening in the company. And it becomes a vehicle. My company is a vehicle for their success. I focus on their revenue first before I focus on mine or the company's revenue. If they're making good revenue, because I mean, again, we're based on commission and merit. If they're making good revenue, my needs are going to be handled. I'm a byproduct of how happy and how well they're performing. Right. That's how I see it. But it really highlighting the top three personal priorities that everybody has really makes a difference. I mean, you have people who, oh, you know what? I, I'm dreaming of a home. Two years later, they actually you know, bought a home based on you know, bonuses and you know, stuff like that. So it's great stuff, right? But we all share the wins. I think that's what makes it work. And everybody feels like they're part of something bigger than just a regular nine to five. I think we're at a stage at a societal standpoint that where you belong or you know, having a sense of belonging matters just as much of, as the, you know, the paycheck that you get, right? So, yeah. Well, Rafael, a very fascinating conversation and so many, many more things we could go into, but we're running out of time here. So tell us, first of all, what it is that you have to offer. I know you have a podcast and coaching training program. Give us a little bit of information about that and tell us how to take advantage of those things. So yeah, I have a coaching program, the Wholesaling Business Blueprint. I mean, it's everything from zero to deals and how to actually build the business as you're making money. So it's an ongoing program. You have lifetime access to coaching calls and there's a lot of good stuff that come in there. If they want more information on that, go to reiwholesaling.com. That's reiwholesaling.com. And uh, you're also going to get a download of, a, of the blueprint, the actual blueprints. It's deeper than the stuff that I mentioned right now, but it's an actual booklet that gives you the layouts of the layout of what's happening during the building of the business, right? So it's a good roadmap to follow. Even if you don't jump on the coaching program or whatnot, uh, download that because it's going to help you if you're doing the wholesaling. You're going to understand it and flow through it. And uh, yeah, if somebody just wants to get a hold of me, you can find me as Rafael Cortez, R-A-F-A-E-L Cortez, CEO in social media and uh, YouTube channel. I post a lot of stuff out there too. All righty. Well, sounds like an excellent deal there. Certainly the key points that we have touched on, I'm sure you go into much more detail in that blueprint and it's free. So viewers and listeners go out there and uh, take advantage of that. So enlightened investors, thank you so much for being with us today. It is always a pleasure being with you. And Raphael, What an interesting conversation. Thank you for sharing your blueprint. And viewers and listeners, go out and get that blueprint today. Thank you, Raphael, for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.